looking at Ephesians 2 again this morning and remembering all that has come before all that we know that we are now brought near uh, united together in Christ I'm going to read for us starting at verse 11 focus in on the end of chapter 2 this therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, with no hope, without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to you. So that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling have these verses here at the end of chapter 2, verses 19 and 22, that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens, heirs, members of the household of God. Now remember, I preached through 1 Timothy last year, and I made this big deal out of 1 Timothy using these words, house, home, but sometimes it would translate a Opening chapter of 1 Timothy, we find these verses. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. That word stewardship is the word household, it is home. way in which God orders his house. It's further said in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, pillar and buttress of the truth. So, this is the same sort of language written to the entire church of Ephesus that was written to its pastor. We are the household. 
So this guy put together this theory that there were actually four authors who kind of squished everything together, and then there was a guy at the end who really just put all this mismatched stuff together. He was like a curator. He was the guy who put it all together. This doesn't seem to be too big a deal. After all, we weren't there when Moses was writing. Uh, we don't know if he had Joshua and Dan describing for him. We don't know exactly how Moses Thank you. 
he writes to Timothy and Titus in a very different way. The pastors of these churches. You know, I wonder if Paul even wrote those letters. Some of these letters to the churches he seems to really encourage them. And some of them he doesn't. He seems to really come down. So Paul maybe didn't write the New Testament. Maybe, maybe we have, instead of four authors of four different gospels, we have this mysterious thing behind them called, I'm not joking, Phew have no evidence of, but everybody thinks exists, some proto-gospel that all the other four looked at, that we have no copies of, even though we have thousands of copies of personal gospels. And again, like, why does any of this matter? Right? So the question that all these guys said all these crazy things were saying, the whole time they were doing this was, we just want to know who wrote the Bible. That's all we're asking. We're not trying to be Biblical criticism. It wasn't critical of the Bible, it just was trying to figure out who wrote it. But the real meat of it finally began to come out in the 1900s. The reason why all these guys have been saying, did Moses really write it? Did Isaiah really write it? Did Matthew really write it? Did Paul really write it? They finally began actually just saying, they came up with these theories. Their motive was that they did not believe that anyone could be born of a virgin. Therefore, we have to figure out a way to get rid of all that stuff. And so if it doesn't actually belong to the New Testament, it's some other thing that we just kind of grab and then we can just kind of drop that off. They did not think it realistic to believe in any of these miracles. Not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Jonah could not possibly have been swallowed by a fish. Everyone knows this. Therefore, let's get rid of Jonah. Though the Red Sea could not have been parted, it's impossible. Therefore, get rid of that. The miracle of the fishes and loaves couldn't have happened. Therefore, let's figure out how to get rid of that. The resurrection of the Son of God, clearly impossible. Let's figure out how to get rid of that. And so they did. Big seminaries of the day, the great bulwarks that trained pastors, all, all of them thought of this. They all began to teach the pastors that the Bible was not written by the man who said it. It was the Bible. Paul, who signed his letters, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, didn't actually write it. scriptures are true and authoritative in every single sense. Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Do you believe 
rose physically bodily from the dead. Do you believe the miracles of Jesus and the miracles of the Old Testament actually happened physically on the earth? And do you believe in something called penal substitutionary atonement, which we actually talk about slightly in class? Penal substitutionary atonement is a big phrase. Here's what it means. Do you believe that Christ, by his death, paid the penalty for sins and atoned for them completely? That is literally the essence of the gospel. And a whole bunch of pastors said, you can't ask us that question. You can't ask us if we believe the Bible. And you can't ask us if we believe that Jesus paid the penalty for sins. And you can't ask us any of that stuff. He's not that bad. Every single mainline denomination in the United States. We've talked about this before. Presbyterian Church USA, which we were a part of, United Methodist, United Evangelical Brethren, United Church of Christ, Anglicanism, United Brethren, I missed anybody, Evangelical Lutheran. Seventy-ish percent. Of all the churches in the United States, refused to ask pastors these questions. They said 70% of the denominational stuff in the United States stopped asking pastors if they believed the apostles and the prophets. strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Now, if you don't believe that the apostles and prophets were writing truly, and you don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, rose bodily from the dead, made his miracles, and is the substitutionary atonement, you have not built anything worth standing. You built on a false foundation. So for a hundred years all the mainline denominations and many that are not mainline have built not on the apostles and prophets but on all kinds of other things mostly social good. They have taken the works of the church socially made those the foundation of the church. They have said, the church does stuff, and that is actually the foundation of the church. We do social good, and that's what we have to have as a foundation. We have soup kitchens, and we do mission work, and we build hospitals, and we X, Y, Z, whatever the thing is. That, because we do all of that, must be the foundation of the church. Therefore, that's what we're going to make. Jesus talks about this. The great children's song. Wise men built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains come tumbling down. Can we say the same The rains come down and the floods come. The rains come down and the floods come. The 
rains come down and the floods come up and the rocks are the house on the rock stands firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains come tumbling down. The rains come down and the floods come up. The rains come down and the floods come up. The rains come down and the floods come up. And the house on the sand goes smack. What is the rock that Jesus was talking about? Does anyone know? The word of God. The apostles and prophets. The foundation. Jesus was giving So that you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with saints, members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being reinforced. In whom the whole structure, being held together, grows into a holy temple. In whom you also, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I don't know the mind of God outside of Scripture is very clear. The people of God who build on something other than His truth will one day fall. They cannot self-sustain. These sorts of leaks, levees, dams breaking are everywhere around us. They're in all the major denominations. It doesn't matter which one you point at, you throw a shoe and
his house was two double wide trailers built over a basement. Now, they built a brick wall, you know, concrete block wall in the basement. The first attempt at it, they did not build it right. What happened to that one? Death. Sarah's face, if you can see it, it's the right face. It collapsed. It didn't, it didn't hold. Thankfully, they had to set the trailers on top of the foundation. Because if the trailers would have been on top, the trailers would have also been. So they had to knock all that and rebuild it. Now they could have just kept going and ignored the problem, pushed, you know, put a couple two by fours against that whole thing wall, call it a day. And some people do that now. foundational work to be the pillar and buttress of the truth founded upon the apostles' prophets. It's effort. It takes skill. You don't take the guy who is fresh in and off the street and make him a mason. Don't build a house in the day. Here's the thing that is most encouraging. You're being built all this all the time by the master of the spirit. If we're building on the apostles and prophets of Jesus Christ, of course. That even though we might only have a half of one wall of one side of one foundation built. If we are building on the foundations that God has given us, the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, we can be assured of many things. Grace which is we will not fall. There are churches who build in other ways. There are churches who build on it's very easy to arouse people to causes that are not Christ's cause. Essential. Because the essential cause is that we are great sinners. We deserve the wrath of God. And hell that is forever eternal. That's not an easy sound. That truth does not owe Does the equally true thing that in Christ all sins are forgiven you can find fellowship with God Because in order to get to that truth, you have to go through the first truth. And there is no walkaround, there's no workaround, you can't have a second one without the first. You don't get to skip over sin and death and hell and get the pleasures of God. You must walk through it. There are other ways to build them. Ignore those things. You can call people to all kinds of that sort of thing, and people will come. So right now, uh, a pregnancy center is being formulated, built up out of stuff that already exists in the county. And so there's lots of talk in committee meetings about how we're going to do this. And basically, all we're going to have to do is just tell people it exists and ask them to volunteer and get money. You know what's going to 
this an easy day? not going to be on board Seculars who hate God love babies. But still, you show a little baby, no problem. That's an easy thing to call people to. It's easy to get people to rally around all kinds of things. All kinds of things. We don't want to his church how he wants to build his church. We are now the spirit. The spirit blows where it wants. And look at the end. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. I don't know when, how, if the church here in Jasper will grow and build into some times, if you've ever built anything with a builder, where inevitably the person who wants the structure is angry at the builder for lack of pace, not getting this done, why did you do it this way? It happens every time. I have never built a house. I hope to never build a house. Because it is painful. Same thing as people don't like to 
But I do believe that the things I say rest on the foundation of promises and promise. And we as a church, I think, do that too. Been for the most part, despite the fact that I don't like to say things, well received. Every time I lay it on a grid, say that's the apostles, that's the prophets, that we're building on the foundation. Brick gets laid, move on to the next brick. And so it's been a pleasure to do it. The encouraging final thing is the dwelling place of Sunday morning is just mostly about getting up, getting to church, singing some songs, maybe say, 
church gathering is a visible representation of God dwelling on earth with his people. We are as essential to the world as the pillar of fire was to the people of Israel. We are that important. So when we gather, it is not for menial things. It's not like the Kiwanis Club. We are the blazing glory of God, basically. Every time. Every time we gather. So let's act like it. Let's believe this. Let's build ourselves in the foundation of the apostles by the work of the Spirit, trusting that He is doing everything He wants to do for us. And that God is Take the word supper this morning.